It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Your host, Charlie Potter, here on WGN Radio. Thank you very much for being with me this morning. We're going to start off by talking about something I actually never really conceived that we'd be talking about, and that is the subject of food, its abundance, and the Conservation Reserve Program, one of the most successful, if not the most successful conservation program in the history of the United States, and an attempt by some nearsighted, and I do use that word, and political individuals who are in politics who are trying to take advantage of a situation to try to undermine the Conservation Reserve Program and all that it's done for the betterment of agriculture, soil and water conservation, air quality, wildlife. So to set the stage, we've been reading about we suddenly have a food crisis and there won't be enough food, the war in Ukraine lingering on. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, which is one of the reasons that Putin wants it, and that we will see a disruption not only in uh, agriculture in Ukraine, but also in Russia because of of what's taking place, and that this is going to cause an an enormous shortage of wheat. Ukraine is the largest producer of wheat in all of Europe. And so, led by a number of senators, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina being one of them, there's now a call to abandon or greatly scale back the Conservation Reserve Program so that, once again, we can feed the world. And, and I s- sit here this morning talking to you saying, this is one of the most preposterous, terrible ideas to come out of Washington in a long time if, and I don't think this will happen, if politicians decide there's near-term political gain at the expense of long-term conservation and financial benefits to agriculture by tearing up conservation reserve program lands and going back to what Earl Butts in the 1970s called fence row to fence row farming, which led to, well, led to the, the collapse in, in farm incomes in the early 80s and ultimately ushered in the conservation reserve program. So what's at stake here is, and food prices, as you know, are skyrocketing. There's a lot involved here. A lot of it has to do with supply chains. The answer is not to tear up the Conservation Reserve Program. The reasons for this are really pretty simple. There's about 28 million acres in the United States under the Conservation Reserve Program. It's been as high as, I think, about 40 million and as low as about 22 million. And it was started in 1985 as a result of both a farm crisis and a conservation crisis. The Conservation Reserve Program, otherwise known as CRP, very simply takes marginal land out of production and pays the landowner not to farm that marginal land and to bring about wildlife benefits to all of society. It's been a tremendous idea. We have seen a massive reduction in pollutants in our waterways as a result of CRP. We have seen a massive reduction in soil erosion. It has been a boon to wildlife, particularly ground nesting birds. And it also, even despite all the flooding that we've had in recent years, 
along the Mississippi alluvial plain and, and all the interior river plains, it has actually helped to reduce flooding. The flooding would have even been that much worse. Farmers have been paid billions, billions of dollars to enroll lands over the years in the Conservation Reserve Program. And it's been a win for society because the land that is mostly in, in, in CRP is land that shouldn't be farmed to begin with, but it was farmed, as I said, going back to the 70s when the mentality was farm everything we can, we have to feed the world. And the result was agriculture went into its worst depression since the Great Depression of the 30s. And Conservation Reserve Program, or as some called it actually CPR, came out of it. And it's been in existence now for nearly 40 years, and it's been a phenomenal success. Part of the dynamics of taking the land out of CRP, which make no sense at all, is this is our poorest land. So for Senator Graham and others to say we should take the land out of CRP, we need to feed the people of the world because of what's going on in the Ukraine, this is land that doesn't produce much anyway. Most farmers are glad to have it in CRP because it's marginal. They're not going to make great yields on it. It's going to be expensive to farm. And in a lot of years, it's simply not going to produce anything. The same with the Wetland Reserve Program lands and, and the program called Conservation Stewardship, CSP. So these programs took marginal land out of production, some 26 million acres now. That land is not the same fertility in production as central Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, the heart of the grain belt. Not at all. Most of the CRP land, or a lot of it, is in the prairies of the Dakotas, eastern Montana, land that is, is not terribly productive to begin with. So the idea that by taking land out of CRP, we can somehow have a big impact in grain production is, is complete folly. Another part that is really disheartening is that to take the land out of production, you can't just go in and plow it this spring, plant a crop, and expect, oh, my goodness, by come the fall, we're going to have lots of wheat. This land isn't being farmed this year. There's not a chance it's being farmed. In fact, in the productive areas of CRP, we've now had decades of, of grass on the, on the land. This grass has set down roots that runs deep in the ground and also is part of trying to car sequester carbon, which I talked about last week. So you don't just plow it up and start farming. It's going to take a couple of years to break it and to put it back into, into production. And that's going to be hugely expensive to break it. You've got to use tractors. You can't just grow across the field once and plow it up and plant. It's not going to work. You've got to apply chemicals. So we're going to see a vast increase in chemical usage at a time when chemicals and fertilizer uh, are at their highest levels in history, four times what they were a year ago. There, I, I can't find a farmer I've talked to who thinks it's a good idea to go in and plow up CRP. They're not going to do it. So agriculture doesn't want to do this. The people who want to have this done are politicians who think there's a near-term gain to be, once again, America leading the way to feed the world at the expense of hard-fought and very important conservation victories. And, of course, the agribusiness industry thinks this is great. The more fertilizer, the more chemical, the more fuel, the more equipment they can sell, the better off they are. They have never been fans of CRP, never. So the idea that, that now there's maybe a little bit of a window to knock back the Conservation Reserve Program, they're all in favor of it. It's a bad idea, folks. It's a really, really bad idea. And on top of that, which I've talked about before, we have this incredibly convoluted crop insurance, federal crop insurance program, which while it may be well-intentioned, is horribly conceived 
And as a friend of mine who spent his life in Washington working on ag policy says, bag ag policy leads to bad behavior on the farm. And crop insurance, the federal crop insurance, is the poster child of bad, really bad agricultural policy. We need to redo the federal crop insurance program, which is, which is paying for land that should not be farmed, fails almost every year, and yet is paying landowners to receive a crop payment on that land, which they know is not going to be productive in, in, most, in most years. So we have, a, we have a real issue, near term and long term. Near term, conservation reserve program can't be touched. And long term, as the farm bill comes up for renewal, we really need to recognize that the tools that make conservation and soil and water conservation and wildlife work this conservation reserve program, the wetland reserve program, the conservation stewardship program, and other programs that landowners can use to return, see an, a, an environment, an act, excuse me, an economic benefit to lands that are environmentally sensitive. And I would offer, as has been floated by others, that we actually should be paying a lot more for conservation reserve program lands. Because these are the lands that ecologically are the most important farmlands. We are deriving an enormous societal benefit. Agricultural landowners should be encouraged to put as much marginal land into conservation programs as they possibly can because it's a whole lot cheaper for us. And this is one of the things that Congress has never understood. It is hugely expensive to the American taxpayer to be farming unproductive land, marginal lands, and then paying a lot of crop insurance. It's much cheaper to put the lands in conservation reserve program and take it out of the federal subsidy of the federal crop insurance program. And we could pay a lot more for the CRP lands and still be way ahead. So when you hear in the coming weeks, people yelling about, we've got to grow more food. No, we don't need to grow more food on our sensitive lands. We need to protect our sensitive lands and we need to recognize that this food issue we're looking at cannot be solved tomorrow, cannot be solved this year. And when the conditions of the world return again to where they were before Ukraine, we don't have a food issue. I'll be back in just a moment with much more in the great outdoors. And when I do, I'm going to talk about forest management and a very strange thing, beavers in the desert. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology. Tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. 
Thanks for being with me. Forest management, forest fires. I guess if there's finally enough damage done, the bureaucrats will wake up, even though it's about 50 years too late. So you, you have to have been, I don't know where you could have been the last few years not to recognize that we have had a distinct increase in the number of forest fires in the West. A lot of people would say this is due to climate change and, and, and run around and say we've got to stop climate change. This is terrible. And, and an equally number of smart people are saying this has nothing to do with climate change. This has to do with horrible forest management over a long period of time. Well, it appears that the Department of Agriculture in Washington and the National Forest Service recognize that without managing our forests, and you're going to laugh because, of course, we've been talking about this on the air here for a long time. Without properly managing our forests, the whole West is going to burn eventually. The pine beetle, which has taken over a lot of the West, Colorado is Rocky Mountain National Park is basically just dead timber. You come over the top of the over the, the mountain peak and you drop into the Rocky Mountain National Park and 20 years ago it was this carpet of green. It's just dead. It's all going to burn. And what we are forgetting, and what, but yet which the Forest Service is now reminding us, is only a tiny percentage of the West has actually burned in the last decade. There's like 95% left to go which is pretty frightening. So last year was a horrible fire season. Lake Tahoe, California, Colorado, Idaho, just awful. And I've said on the air, and, and the guests we've had on the air have said for years, this is just the beginning. And, and a lot of individuals say, oh, it's the warming. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's the warming of climate. It, it's never one thing in nature. And if there's, if there's one thing that I know from my life in the outdoors and in conservation, it's never just one thing. It's always a compilation of things. The compilation of things is, yes, we have had a really dry decade in the West. There have been dry decades in the West before. This is not abnormal. What was abnormal is the amount of moisture we've had in the West in recent years prior to the dry decade. What is totally abnormal is that we have diseases in the trees that are killing millions of trees and destroying millions of acres of forest land. Trees that are susceptible to disease because they're too old and they should have been burned or harvested a long time ago. But the policy, which is now acknowledged to have been one of the worst things the federal government ever could have done, was the Smokey the Bear put out every fire policy. That's why Yellowstone burned in 1989. It was an inferno because they never allowed any fires. We are paying the price for this management or lack thereof, and, and frankly, from the environmental radical groups that continue to sue every opportunity they get every time the Bureau of Land Management and the National Forest Service or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service attempt to execute forest management or grassland management. We have to harvest our forests. We have to now clear massive fire breaks in our forests so these fires can be controlled. And we have to burn our grasslands as would have been done throughout history and natural times. And let us not forget that Native Americans were masters of fire. They used fire as a hunting tool. It's how they caused herds of buffalo and, and big game to stampede in front of a fire and go off cliffs where they could then be 
at the bottom butchered when they were dead. They also used fire to rejuvenate the prairie grasses. Fire is a natural tool of nature that's been here since the beginning of time. And we stepped in in the last 50 years and said, no, 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 we're not going to burn anything. These trees are too beautiful to burn. Yellowstone's too beautiful to burn. Glacier's too beautiful to burn. Folks, they're going to burn. And they are going to burn at levels that never would have occurred if, if nature had been allowed to take its course over the years and if we had attached aggressive forest management. So now the USDA under Tom Vilsack is saying, Secretary Vilsack is saying, we got a big problem and we need to do something about it. At least we now recognize that we have a big problem in Washington and we stop blaming other things because the reality is we need to blame, in this case, we need to blame the federal government and we need to blame the environmental groups that have spent decades suing every time there is litigating every time there's an attempt to manage our forests and manage our wilderness areas. So this is going to get much worse before it gets better. My takeaway is the fact that we finally have a secretary of agriculture who says, we got a problem. We need to fix it. There's some hope. And let's hope this summer is not another bad fire season like last year. But right now it is really dry in the West, really dry in, in areas of Northern California, which is huge fire country. That's not good news if you live east of California, which basically everyone in this continent does. In the last couple moments, speaking of water, the early reports on the nesting grounds of the prairies, that 100 million acre birthplace, cradle of almost all bird life in America, about 75 to 80%, it's dry. It's better at this time in some areas than it was last year, but we are still way below level needed to sustain prairie nesting wildlife and birds where we are right now here at the beginning of April. A lot can happen in April. April can be a big moisture month. March was a, was a pretty good moisture month, but it did not make up for the dearth of snow and moisture all winter long. I'll be back next Sunday morning with much more in the great outdoors. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Have a great week in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.